the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have got another Jim Henson episode for you. We had one way back when we talked The Dark Crystal and Muppet Babies, Uh, but this time we are going to give you two other entities from Jim Henson Productions. Um, We're really excited about it. Maybe I would say probably bigger production. I mean, maybe those are some of the smaller ones. Uh, This is probably like some of the most beloved stuff. Well, not bigger. The most beloved stuff is like Muppets and and Sesame Street. Yeah. (laughs) And and we could still, hell, we could still get to that with other Jim Henson, you know, movies or even their own movies. So, yeah. But today we are going to do a full breakdown of 1986's Labyrinth. Uh, We are going to do a review of the 1983 to 1987 show Fraggle Rock. And then we are going to do our own recasting of Labyrinth using characters of today, which I would not be shocked if this is something that is in the heads of movie producers out there right now. If they're like, God, we have got to make another Labyrinth movie. Yeah, although I I I'm pretty sure Brian Henson right now has control mm. over all of that. Okay. So, who knows if that'll happen. I heard recently in an interview maybe 4 or 5 months back, Brian Henson really wanted to revitalize Farscape, mm. which was a TV show that they were involved in in sort of the early 2000s. So, I don't know if Labyrinth is going to be anything that they'll touch, especially with sort of how beloved it is. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I would just bet money that there's someone drooling over the potential oh, I'm uh, sure. of making money off of this, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, all right. I mean, I'm excited about this one. This, this one has some uh, – this show, I mean, both Labyrinth and Frog, Frog Rock have some fantastic puppets, some very memorable puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about Jim Henson – multiple times between our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, the Dark Crystal one, um, and, and we've mentioned Muppet Babies, and just yeah, just multiple things that uh, he's been part of. So I don't really have much else to, to gush about him right. because we've already done it. So, you know, if anybody, if you want to hear any other else, you know, go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already. But, uh, you know, I just I just want to dive into this. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. So, um, sure. You know, how about how about you tell us, uh, you know, bring us back to 1986, if you would tell tell us, you know, what what happened around then so we can kind of get our brains into what was going on uh, during Labyrinth time. All right. So this was a big uh, summer movie. Came out June 27th, 1986. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week was On My Own by Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald. I do not remember that one bit. It's not bad. Uh, no. my, pro- my problem is, I think I think the forty year old virgin ruined Michael McDonald for me. <laughs> you remember, like in that in the store that they were working, like the Michael McDonald, like 
music was playing constantly playing oh, constantly and like um i think paul rudd was just like flipping out about it <laughs> i gotta tell you something i'm really excited about it uh for the first time today i woke up i came to the store and i i feel confident to say to you that if you don't take this michael mcdonald dvd that you've been playing for two years straight off i'm going to kill everyone in the store and put a bullet in my brain it's Girl. definitely a slow jam. It, you know, yeah. Patti LaBelle, Michael McDonald, it's music to make love to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, no uh, no shocker here. Topping the Nielsen ratings that week was definitely the Cosby Show. That's going to be okay. true for most of the 80s. Yep. Uh, if you're a big reader, the book topping the New York Times bestseller that week was a book called Wonderlust by Danielle Steele. Oh, I've heard of oh Daniel Steele. <laughs> I've heard of Daniel Steele. I've never read any of her books, but yeah, neither have I. Um, I mean, she's kind of known as that romantic writer, you know, like kind of the I don't know dreamy housewife, uh, you know, <laughs> who dreams of of Fabio far away coming to to pick her up and you know woo her and sex sex her pretty good. Like that's what Daniel Steele novels are are to me in my in my head anyway. <laughs> I, I'm sure someone's gonna correct us. Yeah, that's probably way off. But neither of us have read it, so no. <laughs> And uh, if you were playing video games back then and you wanted the latest and greatest, uh, you were finishing up playing a game called Dragon Warrior for the NES. Okay. I don't remember that Not one. Not a game I was familiar with either. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have it. We weren't cool enough. Yep. So that was 1986. All right. Well, John, we're going to get some hands. Oh, I already did that joke, didn't I? I did hands up our backside. I think I did that exact... <laughs> I was going to say that exact same thing. And I, as I was saying it, I realized, wait, I fucking said that for dark... <laughs> Dark uh, crystal. Dark crystal. Well, fuck it. We're <laughs> we're gonna get into labyrinth. <laughs> Uh, all right, The Labyrinth from 1986. This was directed by Jim Henson, as we mentioned. Muppets, Muppet Babies, Sesame Street, Dark Crystal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know Jim Henson. Um, the story uh, for this film was done by Jim Henson and Dennis Lee. They worked on many things together. Um, and also, interestingly, the screenplay of Labyrinth was written by Terry Jones of Monty Python fame, who unfortunately passed away just Honestly, about a little over a week ago or something, mm. or maybe or maybe it was like a month ago or something from when we're recording this. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. It wasn't that long. Actually, it was only a couple weeks ago. Yeah, a couple weeks ago from when we're recording it. But, you know, we, we do take some time to edit, so it'll be out a couple months after after this one comes out, I guess. Yeah. Uh, or a month after this. Anyway, anyway, the non-David Bowie music was written by Trevor Jones, uh, who has done some other really good soundtracks, uh, including Last of the Mohicans, mm-hmm. uh, Dark City, Cliffhanger, Arachnophobia. Uh, so he's some he's done some good stuff. And the cinematography was done by Alex Thompson, uh, who he has done things like uh, Raw Deal, which is a Schwarzenegger movie with uh, (laughs) I think Jim Belushi is in that one with him. Demolition Man, Mm. Alien 3. Um, But what I thought was particularly interesting in my head, maybe it's because they're both fantasy movies and they both start with L. uh, He also did the cinematography for Legend. Oh, nice. I always kind of lump labyrinth and oh no no it's willow and legend that i lump together that's what i that's what i lump in together but it's just it's a fun movie tim curry god damn (laughs) i mean i I haven't seen that movie in a long time so i really don't know if it holds up i kind of remember it the last time i watching it being really slow and not thinking it was as good as i actually remembered and remembering that willow is actually a far superior movie but 
I don't know. We'll have to get to it eventually yep. and decide that later. We'll have to put it on the list. All right. This film stars David Bowie as Jareth the Goblin King. He's David Bowie. I'm not going to talk about his credits. Uh, Jennifer Connelly plays Sarah. Uh, she was in The Rocketeer, A Beautiful Mind, Blood Diamond. Um, she's, I don't know, quite a famous actress. You yeah. should, most people know who Jennifer Connelly is. Um, Toby the Baby was played by a baby named Toby. Uh, <laughs> It's actually, um, the, the baby's name is uh, Toby Froud, who, Crystal, but Toby, uh, I guess, really did follow in his dad's footsteps, and he also became a creature creator and puppet sculptor. Oh, um, nice. You know, the, so the baby in Labyrinth has become, you know, a, a puppet guy himself, and he was actually the, the design supervisor of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Oh, nice. It's nice to, to see that that they're still, you know, keeping it kind of, on the one hand, it's nice to see them, they're kind of keeping everything in the family, yeah. per se. You know, people who growing up with this are, are still sticking with it. That's good, because uh, it's nice to see that puppetry is kind of coming back. Yeah. The stepmother was played by Shelley Thompson. She's not in a whole bunch that I recognize. She was in the show Trailer Park Boys, and I know that's pretty popular somehow. I've watched like an episode of that, and it was not funny to me, but some people love that show. I've never seen it. Funny enough, my wife loves it, and I'm just, or she, she's seen most of it, and I was just like, eh, <laughs> not good to me. The father was played by Christopher Malcolm. He was an absolutely fabulous Highlander, uh, and he was a, a rebel pilot in Empire Strikes Back. He is the one in Empire Strikes Back who goes out finding for Luke and go and radios back, goes, uh, so or so, I found them. Repeat, I found them. He's the one who uh, okay. finds Luke and Han after after they spent the night in the Tauntaun. Nice, very cool. Um, Hoggle was voiced by Brian Henson, who is um, a brother of Jim Henson, and uh, he's in Jim Henson Productions. He's the executive producer of mm-hmm. Jim Henson Productions. And uh, Didymus is pl- is voiced by uh, David Shaughnessy, who has done voices in Star Wars Rebels, Big Hero 6, um, Elder Sh- multiple Elder Scrolls games, uh, and he has directed 254 episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just thought, hey. thought that was interesting. That's so work. he's become a... Yeah, a TV director. And uh, some other important people, I just want to make sure I throw their names out here um, that were involved in this film. Uh, obviously, besides, you know, like the, the with with Jim Henson, a lot of times you're going to get Frank Oz, who did some puppetry in this one. Yeah. Um, same, similar, Kevin Clash did some puppetry in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kenny Baker and Warwick Davis. Uh, some other Star Wars fame people also did some of the some of the ghouls or something at some point. Okay, let's get into the movie, and we start off with a, a flying owl animation that does not look good to today's standards. Um, but you know, give it a little pass. Uh, we do get a David Bowie song from the very start, and this one's called Underground. But down in the underground, you'll find someone true. Down in the underground, a land serene, a crystal moon. Ah, it's only and uh, the song here is, if you're right, is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna just kind of throw this out. I love David Bowie music. I, I'm a definite fan. Mm-hmm. I don't think the songs in this movie are really that good. <laughs> no, I I tend to agree. I mean, they're yeah. they're kind of. It seems like they're for the movie. Yeah, they are. And you know, it's it's. I don't think it's his best. But no, 
a lot of people have there's I mean there's a lot of nostalgia for Labyrinth and and fair enough yeah you know and, and I, I would agree that you know it's fun with the songs because there's puppets going on at the same time um, but it's not there it's not top tier songs it's not mm-hmm. like something where Rocky Horror Picture Show like I would listen to those songs on right. my own right you know or something uh, and then we start with Sarah uh, she's a girl dressed as a Renaissance princess um, but really she is reading a play called The Labyrinth, and it's actually current time, uh, and she's, you know, I guess practicing for this play or something, Mm and um, she has to get home. She's frustrated. She's a teen frustrated with her father and stepmother because she has to watch this stupid baby, her baby (laughs) brother, Toby. They're ruining her life. Exactly. (laughs) In general, we see that she's, like, heavy into fantasy, uh, you know, because we see in her room that she's just got, you know, a whole bunch of and teddy bears and not even just that but like just just fantasy stuff um we also get some other hint things that we see her mother used to be an actress mm-hmm. you know if you're paying attention to like the pictures and like her uh, kind of like a diary or something of her mom um so that's i think she wants to follow into that her footsteps so we obviously we what we kind of pull from this is her mother has passed away um that you know she's trying to follow in her mom's footsteps and you know she has a stepmother and, and i don't know how recent of a stepmother but enough recent enough to have a or they've got a new baby right you know, who's a you know i don't know how old how old would toby be one i don't um, too young. maybe six months maybe six months six okay. to, six to eight months i mean he, it didn't look like he was he was kind of why he was like he'd been walking for a little bit maybe eight eight to ten months yeah he'd been walking a little bit but as you kind of put it you know sarah feels a little neglected you know she's upset that she has to stay home to watch her half brother and it angers her <laughs> and i'm like you know what as a kid no doubt we sided on Sarah's side that we were just like, you jerks, just just let Sarah be Sarah, you know, <laughs> like uh, let her let her do her thing and, and, and have fun. And I watch it now and you're just like, shut up, you little shit and watch your brother. <laughs> I mean, first of all, the parents even say it's like we hardly ever go out. Yeah. For whatever reason, whether that's true or not, who knows? Yeah. But but I mean, like, it's not like, you know, it's not like they're asking a huge amount. It's it's one baby. And not listen, this is this, one dinner. It, one yeah, dinner. Yeah, one dinner. <laughs> I mean, she they even said something like they'd be back before midnight. Mm-hmm. At, at this point, she she had to have known sort of how to take care of her brother. So yeah. you do what you can. You get him to bed. Once he falls asleep, that's yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean- I mean, I've just, got, just, I've had children and, and, you know, I've had a couple of them, well, a couple of them, I only have a couple of them, but, you know, they had their colicky moments and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Toby's having some of that now, but Sarah seems to be having a little bit of colicky moment of her own yeah. right now. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, she needs to check her privilege a little bit or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's running around with this uh, renaissance dress that her parents bought her for yeah. something and she has this awesome house that she lives in and like has all these fantasy stories and teddy bears and shit around and it's just like you can't watch shut up and watch your brother for one night without complaining i was gonna Man. say her room's pretty decked out so yeah. she doesn't have a lot to complain about <laughs> no but because of you know her her anger she kind of comes up with this fantasy in her head about the goblin king stealing the baby which you know as she's kind of imagining this we get some intercut things between we see these actual goblins mm-hmm. at you know her house or what or just kind of like well one we just see a bunch of their faces and they're in a intercut with her as if they're actually listening to her as if it's a part of real life say what you shut up listen she's going to say the word and then they're all kind of excitedly waiting for her to say 
I wish the goblins would come and take you away. Right now. And that's the cue. The the crying of Toby stops immediately. He's gone. We see these little kind of goblins pop up around her, which is done fantastically, just yeah. timing wise when she's turning around and whatnot. We see this owl in the window, all this kind of freaky stuff is is going on. And and then the real freaky of all freakies entered Jareth, David Bowie mm-hmm. coming into <laughs> into the house. <laughs> he gives her this little crystal. Uh, so this is, you know, just a little ball crystal thing. And he, he love the way he moves it in his hand. Like that's mm-hmm. something that's very memorable to me is just like how how he manipulates it and um i'm sure it was a hand model or you know it was it was uh, i forget uh, the name of the guy but it was somebody um who already knew how to do that and so it's not his hands when you see it i could kind of tell in some of the shots that i was just like okay that's obviously someone else's hand that they just have placed to do that yeah Um, but it's done well enough that you know uh, most eyes wouldn't wouldn't notice it was well enough that when i was a kid i believed david bowie could do it (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) but uh you know now that her wish came true, she's all sad and she wants to get the baby back. So it's, she's a flip-flopper. On top of being a whiner, she's a flip-flopper. <laughs> you know? Uh, so she has to, to to get the baby back. She has to travel travel through the labyrinth um, to get to the castle. And this is another thing that I thought was kind of strange. Jareth gives her 13 hours to do that. And I want to know, where did 13 hours come from? It's not like that's when the parents said we'll be back in 13 hours. 13 hours is a long fucking time for a dinner. Yeah. Uh, so that that's not going, that's not what's going on. Yeah. Um, but that just, it's like, well, why wouldn't they just say, oh, you have four hours, five hours to get the baby back or whatever it is. If it's, you know, seven o'clock, then you have to get the baby back by midnight. Like right. by midnight would have made so much more sense to just say that. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Because that's what we've already established. But now it's up 13 hours. Okay, fuck it. <laughs> Is that just is that just me? <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I didn't pay that much of attention to it, so okay. Well, I, I obviously it does did. seem like an arbitrary number, but yeah, eh, it is. It is. It is. Well, why not? Why not tie it in together? That's just no. Uh, that would make more sense. Yeah. So anyway, well, she sets off on her thirteen-hour journey, <laughs> um, which is actually it's get trunk gets truncated anyway. So yeah, pretty quickly she meets Hoggle and. Uh, we see him. I, I like the scene of him uh, as we meet him. He's hopping around, like spraying these fairies. You know, Sarah's like, "What? Well, they're fairies? They're good." And then one bites her, and it's just kind of funny. And yeah. he's just he's just kind of like treating him like you know, little in a, like an infestation. Well, when we first meet him, he's pissing in the creek. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Hoggles is fun. I I like him. I like the look of Hoggle. So he, I mean, yeah. he's what what he's not. A, do they call him a dwarf? Do they call him a gnome? I don't know what if he's any of the above. They or they, they don't, don't really they don't really establish. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of kind of like a dwarf, but he's got an extra big head, and I don't know. He he. They did a great job with the with the look of Hoggle, and yeah. also just uh, whoever did the the body of Hoggle, I thought did a pretty pretty darn good job. Yeah. So he helps her kind of get into the labyrinth once she asks the correct question. But, you know, in general, he's kind of like this grumpy, kind of curmudgeon old guy kind of vibe. That's the whole thing about him kind of right now. Hmm. I do find it funny that at the beginning, you know, she gets into the, the labyrinth and she's just kind of like, oh, I don't know which way I go. All right, I guess I'm going to go this way. And then she just starts strolling along like it's <laughs> nothing. She's just like walking to do. And it's like, um, 
You only got 13 hours, and you see how big this fucking place is. Like, you think you could step it up and jog. I mean, she does eventually once she kind of, like, is like, this is not going anywhere. And then she starts running. Like, you should have been hoofing it from the start, <laughs> sister. <laughs> just, just little things that I notice now. Um, but she does. And I like the music that is kind of going underneath her as she starts running. It's kind of building up some of the, the tension of, um, you know, just like, what the hell? This, this labyrinth is strange. It's not... It's, everything is not as it seems, and that's kind of something that mm-hmm. kind of will obviously come back and continues to come back to us. Yeah. So like, she gets frustrated that it seems to go on forever. There are no turns. Uh, luckily, there's a lot of luck. She stops at the exact right spots, like multiple times, <laughs> just being like looking around, just be like, ugh, I don't know where to go. I'm just going to stop here. Ugh. And it happens to be the perfect spot that she needs to stop to move on in her journey. Well, I, I, think, I think it's kind of established, or it does establish that... The labyrinth itself is organic and moves and maybe yeah. maybe adjust to what is needed. Yes, probably be that way. Yeah, I guess that's the... Because <laughs> there's a lot of times she'll be like, she'll turn around and she'll be like, I never saw that before or something was different. So I, I really I really see it as the, as the labyrinth really changes to her, not her traversing the labyrinth. Fair enough. And that is probably the best way to assume it or to... to pull out any kind of logic to pull out any logic from the labyrinth and how it works. Okay. I'll agree with you there. Okay. For sure. Uh, she meets this little worm, uh, who is there and he kind of, uh, helps her realize, Oh, that, you know, not everything is as it seems. There are some turns. You just kind of have to go looking in different ways or kind Mm -hmm. of doing stuff. And she kind of goes back behind this seemingly hidden wall. Uh, it's kind of all a lot optical illusion stuff. And there's a lot of optical illusion things, uh, in this film. And that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Uh, I like that aspect. Um, it's definitely something that makes it fun. Cause like when she kind of walks around that wall, it looks like it's just a like little paper thin kind of cut thing. I do like the worms funny line where she starts to go this one way and she's like, Oh no, no, don't go that way. Don't go that way. What was that? I said, don't go that way. Never go that way. Oh, Thanks. Oh, if she'd have kept on going down that way, she'd have gone straight to that castle. It's like, oh shit, that's where that's where we want her to go. Damn it! Yeah, it's it's cute. Yeah, because obviously to him, the castle and Jareth are scary, and why would anyone want to go there? Right, exactly. So, um, she hears Toby crying, and we cut to him, and we get uh, probably the most famous song uh, that Jareth does right now, which is Dance Magic. You remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Who you do? You do. What? Remind me of the babe. So my baby crying hard as babe could cry. What could I do? My baby's love had gone and left And baby said, Dance magic dance, dance magic dance. And dance magic is, it's definitely the most memorable song for me. Mm-hmm. It's its not bad, but it is, it, it's its not, uh, I don't know, it's already mentioned, I, I'm not going to be listening to dance magic. And, and as I watch it as I'm older, I, and because I know the potential of David Bowie, mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, this is, this is what you saved for Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, I don't know. I still, I still do get a little nostalgic up 
when I watch this scene. Yeah. It's just a silly. This is a movie that you got to just kind of unplug <laughs> to watch because trying to break it down is you're going to see some faults in it. And I'll, and I'll, you know, and that's, that's probably what you're going to be hearing me discuss like through this time. Um, that there's a lot of issues with it. But if you can just kind of unplug and just appreciate David Bowie. And then yeah. right now I'm just trying to I'm just trying to appreciate David Bowie and I'm trying to appreciate the um jockey the jock cup that he has in his <laughs> pants to accentuate his bulge. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like cod piece. It's yeah, it's kind of a cod piece, but it's not like a separate one out on top. Cause you get that a lot. This is something on the inside that is like yeah. it's obviously just a cup, you yeah. know, they just gave him like an extra large athletic cup and said, hey, put this in your pants. <laughs> and he was like, OK, <laughs> and it's, it's very there. I, I, I like was. I like to imagine that they gave him one and he gave it back and was like, not big enough. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, uh, I do like, you know, Sarah, she doesn't seem to be the smartest at first, but I, she uh, as she's kind of going through the labyrinth, she's, you know, thinking of, of some intelligent ways to attack it. Um, and she's kind of using a lipstick to kind of mark where she's been. And as you mentioned, kind of the labyrinth is alive to an extent. Even we see living creatures pop open the little tiles that she yeah. marks and kind of fuck with her tiles and things like that. I think that's very cute and very humorous and probably something I laugh to myself at even now and <laughs> definitely when I was younger. Yeah. She meets these two gate guards. I guess they're, they're kind of like, are they like four gate guards or whatever? I, I like think the there's top... four and one of two of them are upside down. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was four different ones or two that had two sides to them. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Um, but there's a, a riddle. It's almost kind of like a classic-y riddle. Or maybe I feel like it just because I know the movie where one of them says, Well, the only way out of here is to try one of these doors. One of them leads to the castle at the center of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to Ba-ba-ba-bum. certain death. Ooh. Which one is which? We can't tell you. Why not? Um, I, uh, we don't know. But they do. Oh, then I'll ask them. Mm, uh, no, you can't ask us. You can only ask one of us. Mm-hmm. It's in the rules. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth. And one of us always lies. And she figures it out. She asks, she tells uh, the one question. Answer yes or no. Would he tell me that this door leads to the castle? Which I can't even, I can't even, I don't even think why is that the right thing to do? I don't know. I didn't, I was very tired when I watched this movie, so Uh, I didn't want to think about it. So I didn't bother. At first I was like, wait, does that mean? And after a while I just gave up. I was like, I, I don't have time for this. I know. I, I probably did the same thing, and that's not very good for a podcast and to make it all entertaining. But so hold on. If one, that's, we got to figure this out, John. If, she, if 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 Jennifer Connelly can figure this out, then we can figure this out. So one will always lie, and the other will always tell the truth. And so she asks one of them, "Would he? Would he lie to me?" And then the guy said something. God damn! I'm too dumb for this. Then the other door leads to the castle, and this door leads to certain death. Oh, how do you know? He could be telling the truth. But then you wouldn't be. So if you told me that he said yes, I know the answer is no. But I could be telling the truth. But then he would be lying. So if you told me that he said yes, I know the answer would Uh, still be no. Wait a minute. Uh, Is that right? I don't know. I've never understood it. Anyway, it's a fun riddle. It's a good riddle. It's obviously stumped me. But uh, so she figures it out and she walks in and immediately kind of falls down this hole. And we get these hands all around her that are kind of like, you know, moving her down and whatnot. And they talk to her. And I you have to appreciate how these hands 
uh, are manipulated to where they look like faces and they are they're talking to her uh, to me I, I, I whatever it is like that impressed the hell out of me oh yeah I think more so now than it even did when I was a kid. Yeah, exactly. I was probably just like, oh, wow, this is cool. Look at those silly hands. And now watching it, it's like the manipulation, but also just like the imagination to to, to get that, figure that out, to, to write that and to make it look good on camera is really impressive. But they ask her if you want to go up or down, and she says down, and she ends up in a, a thing called an oubliette. Uh, basically, it's a little cave. Uh, Hoggle happens to be down there. She makes a deal with him to give her, uh, he, she will give him a little plastic bracelet uh, and he'll help her out as much as he can. So, so they have that little deal going to try and get her to the castle. We do, we get some, uh, as he's kind of walking her through, we get these talking walls. I do like, I kind of forgot about this scene, but I like this. They're giving her like little false alarms, just <laughs> kind of saying, don't go this way. It's the wrong way. And he's just like, oh, shut up. Just <laughs> He's just kind of like piss off and just kind of keeps walking. Um, I, I do. I like Hoggle a lot, but Jareth shows up and kind of calls out Hoggle for betraying him because apparently he is one of his minions or something like that. And he's supposed to, he's supposed to kind of get uh, Sarah all mixed up in the labyrinth basically get her you know you know her into it or whatnot and then bring her back to the front and get her like just really demoralize her um is kind of what what he's supposed to do but he doesn't want to he ends up kind of liking her you know i think he's i think he's gonna gonna create a bond a friendship if you will john okay. a little bit so because Jareth is pissed that uh, hoggle's kind of betraying him he sends this machine after them and they have to run they barely escape uh, it's like this big i don't know drill like a drill thing yeah. yeah i do love i mean good i'd say i'd say probably good jim henson humor like when they finally dive out of the way and this big scary thing goes past them they see just like these two little like, go- like, <laughs> yeah, like little ghoul like- goblin guys just kind of like pedaling behind it and it's just <laughs> it, it, very funny yeah um so but they do escape they find a ladder to get back into the labyrinth uh here we meet this old wise man and this uh chicken hat thing that he's got on his head uh, and he gives them a riddle, kind of. The way forward is sometimes the way back. And honestly, it really wasn't much help. It wasn't <laughs> anything. The, that, that entire scene with the wise man and the chicken really did nothing. Yeah. It didn't really help her go on her journey. He, he didn't give her anything. He didn't send her on the right path. He just kind of gave her some nonsensical advice. And that was it. Ultimately, though, you know, she's talking to the wise man Sarah was and she describes Hoggle as a friend and he's happy about that. And so he's building up, you know, something um, he's kind of changing and and he appreciates that he is a friend, Uh, but he is still a coward. Hoggle is 100 percent a coward and that's something he has to get over. Yeah. Um, But he leaves when he hears like a scary voice at this point. So he's heading out. She presses forward without him because he's a scaredy cat and, and uh, coward. Uh, and we meet this huge reddish-haired monster named Ludo, uh, <laughs> who's hanging upside down, being tortured by these little fuckers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like that at point, but uh, they end up getting scared off and she helps them down. Then all of a sudden, here at this spot, she luckily is at this spot where she sees some door knockers. And one of them, I mean, I like the design of them. One of them has a door knocker in its mouth, and then the other one has it in its ears. Um, and, you know, she knocks on one of them. Uh, that's that's the whole thing. She has got to figure out who to, to get, mm-hmm. who to knock on and, and get through. Um, but I like their, their back and forth is good. I like their, just the puppetry. I mean, every scene of this pretty much 
did fill me with like a just a visual nostalgic. I didn't remember I didn't remember all of the plot points on this film, but like each puppet I got to, I was just like, oh yeah, that guy or that girl <laughs> or that that thing or whatever. I was just like, okay. Like every single scene was something new but old. But something was like, you know, I mean, I was rediscovering something enjoyable from my past, honestly. Hmm. So they get in there and they, they're into this scary forest area. Uh, Ludo gets dropped into something. Shit. So now he's gone. Uh, and so now Sarah's alone again. But Hoggle is uh, about to go back and help. Uh, but Jareth confronts him. And he wants Hoggle to give her this peach. Uh, because, uh, you know, he's he's just, I don't know. Jareth, does, Jareth doesn't like to do a lot of things himself. He wants to try and get other people to do it for him. He, I guess he's like a master manipulator kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wants Hoggle to give her this peach, which will, um, you know, knock her out or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and we see that Hoggle, him being the coward, he's so afraid of Jareth that, you know, he'll he'll do his bidding. So uh, in that forest area, Sarah runs into these weird little reddish-orange goblin-looking things. Don't got no problem. No problem. Ain't got no suit. No suitcase. They sing to her and they have a little song and they are on just awful green screen. Like they're, you know, their heads are moving around. I mean, it's a famous scene. I remember, I feel like I've seen them in tons, you know, when people like think of Labyrinth, they think nostalgically for these guys. But like, honestly, when I'm watching that scene as they're popping their heads off and like moving things around and singing to her and it's all, it's all memorable and all ridiculous. Yeah. But I can't help but think to myself, this green screen looks fucking awful. Yeah. Uh, one thing about that scene. So that, uh, the scene, the dance with the, the puppets, mm-hmm. first of all, yeah. it took like a, an inordinate amount of puppeteers to make that happen. <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. And that whole thing was choreographed by, is credited by, and I think she was credited at the time as Cheryl McFadden, but fans of Star Trek Next Generation would know her as Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher. Oh, Wesley's mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember her from the series. Yeah, so she she was a uh, choreographer and dancer by trade at that point. So she was the one who choreographed that whole dance. That's really cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so they kind of distract her. And I do like that she kind of just throws their heads away, each one of them, <laughs> as she tries <laughs> to run away. Uh, Hoggle ends up saving her. He kind of... Uh, you know, drops a rope and pulls her up and whatnot. She kisses him on the cheek, and this sets off them getting, you know, dumped into, like, this bog of eternal stench because Jareth kind of has a throwaway line. And Hoggle, if she ever kisses you, I'll turn you into a prince. You will? Prince of the land of stench. <laughs> he hates this bog of eternal stench. Yeah. From this, they, they've brought it up a few times, and so now, kind of, we have to we have to go there to get that payoff. Yeah, but because they're becoming friends, Jareth, you know, sends them there. That's exactly one of the things that Hoggle's been fearing. Uh, it's just a really stinky place. I mean, really, that's it. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, they said they they just say that you know, once the stench gets on you, it never goes away if you if you yeah if you if you even dip a pinky toe or whatever in there then it will always be stinky and i and i imagine for well for one for hoggle being as much of a coward as he is Mm -hmm. 
I on one hand I can see that, but the fact that he was so impacted by Sarah calling him a friend, mm-hmm. I think he, you know, and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm really reaching for this, but you know, if you if you always stink, no one's going to be with you. And maybe mm. he just kind of feared that he would always be lonely if he just stunk all the time and no one would want to be near him. I mean, he was already grumpy enough as it is, but you know, we already kind of tell like he's he's kind of a lonely guy. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, maybe I'm reaching for it a little bit, but that's, I mean, that's how I'm going to justify it to myself. I'll, in my I'll head. take it. Yeah, it, it gives that, it gives that some kind of motivation for the fear other than just being afraid of it. Yeah. So, oh, cool. I like that, John. Okay. Yeah. Give him a little backstory with that kind of stuff. <laughs> cool. In depth. Um, so, while they're there, they run into Ludo and they all can then head out. Uh, you know, kind of easily enough, they get out of the bog of eternal stench, but to get out of there, they have to go over this bridge who, uh, which that bridge is guarded by this little fox guy named Didymus. <laughs> ah, the air is sweet and fragrant and not may pass without my permission. And who, you know, at first not, not letting them cross his bridge. And this character, he's one of my favorite. He's got, not well, he's probably my favorite character of the movie. Oh, he's great. He is. He's chock full of energy. You know, he's just, man, he's just so much fun. He's chivalrous to a fault. Exactly. Which is kind of weird being as a fox who have great noses. You know, he has, he's <laughs> lost his stench or, you know, his smeller or something because right. he doesn't, he, he lives in this, this stinky old bog. But, um, you know, there's a little fight scene uh, with uh, Ludo and Didymus. Uh, Didymus kind of feels he met his equal and so he lets him pass, pass but he doesn't allow the same for Sarah as she's starting to walk but she's like well how do you, how do I pass and he's like well you have to have permission for me and she's like well can I have permission and then he kind of like thinks himself oh well I uh, 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 <sighs> yes and so he, he awkwardly <laughs> gives them permission and they are allowed to pass but the bridge falls. Uh, Luda or Hoggle's already kind of gone across. And as the bridge is crawled, another great scene that I kind of, you know, just the nostalgia kind of came once once this happened uh, was we saw this earlier when, I don't know, do, did we see this earlier? I'm not sure we saw the, the Ludo's calling the rocks. Well, uh, we come- Ludo calls, when he's hanging upside down, he's, he's called a little bit, which I, I don't, know if he's just howling in pain and that causes the rock because mm-hmm. Sarah picks it up or if he's intentionally pulling them to Sarah. I think it'd be a little too weird if he's actually intentionally pulling them to Sarah. Mm-hmm. I think they're just coming towards him and she just happens to pick them up. That's because to me, if she's, if she, if he sees her and is pulling them to her, I, I think it's too much. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, so he is calling his rock, his, his friends with the rocks. <laughs> And so these rocks pop out from the bog underneath and kind of give them a little rock bridge to get across the river. But I, I always I totally love and, and like just recall seeing Ludo doing his big howl and the rocks popping up and him going across. Yeah, it's a it's a nice it's a little scene. And I have to call out Didymus's noble steed, Ambrosius or Ambrosia. <laughs> that little dog is just the best, man. <laughs> it's so cute. He's like a little Freddy cat dog that we'll see, you know, a little bit more of just how Freddy is. And and it is funny just having that juxtaposed with how 
just courageous. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, just, you know, fearless Didymus is you have to, you have to respect that guy. Yeah. So at this point they're all kind of hungry and Hoggle uses the opportunity to give her, uh, the peach that Jareth had given to him earlier. Uh, she bites it and immediately knows that something, something is wrong. And, um, you know, Hoggle being again, the kind of coward, he's upset with himself and now he leaves. Uh, and in this drugged out dream state, Sarah's at like this masquerade ball. We get another song from David Bowie. There's such a sad love deep in your eyes and kind of paled you open and closed within your eyes I'll place the sky within your eyes There's such a fooled heart beating so fast in such a new dream and now there's also this weird romantic thing between Jareth and Sarah, you know, it, it's, we're getting this as a plot point right now. And I'm definitely being like, uh, you know, I kind of getting like those vibes from remember when we watched Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice was like getting those vibes with um, uh, Lydia. Lydia and Lydia was supposed to be like. 15, 14 or something like that in the movie. It's the exact, it's very similar age range on this one. And it's just like, no, I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the whole like masquerade thing all kind of turns scary. She ends up kind of breaking this window and now she enters a land of junk. I mean, there's, (laughs) there's just not much logic to how we're getting from one place to another and things like that. It's just like, hey, now we're in the labyrinth and then now we're in this fucking little hole with all these hands and then now we're in the bog and now we're in a land just of junk. (laughs) It just, you know, it's all fantasy. And so Sarah can't really remember what she's doing. The, the, the peaches like it made her forget everything. Uh, But we do, we meet this junk lady uh, who gives her a bear, the bear that she was looking for earlier that made her ultimately pissed off at Toby at the beginning. Right. One, she thought Toby stole the bear from her. Toby, as you said, is like six months old. He can't go get the bear. Well, Obviously, one of the parents gave it to her. Yeah, to I, him. and especially because if you look to see where it, she has it, she has it on this thing in the wall. There's no way <laughs> yeah. in hell the, the baby picked it up. One of the parents just grabbed it and gave it to her. Yeah, and she's, but she's blaming Toby the entire <laughs> time. It's like, damn, girl. <laughs> and then we kind of get a weird scene of we're back in Sarah's bedroom. And this kind of leads her to believe that, okay, this was all just a dream. Uh, But she ends up opening up her bedroom door and it's back into like the junk room Mm -hmm. or the the junk land or whatever. Um, And she realizes, you know, oh, I don't want to stay in this, you know, fake dream thing. I still, I've got to go get Toby. I only had 13 hours and I have really no idea. I didn't bring a stopwatch with me (laughs) to pay attention to the time, but I got to go get there. And uh, she escapes the junk area to head towards Goblin City. We didn't get really much of the junk lady. I kind of want more of her Yeah. when I think of it. She, she's a little too quick. A lot of people come and go. I mean, other than Hoggle, who joins her on the journey, as well as Didymus and Ludo, um, like the other side characters of the junk lady, the wise man with the chicken hat, right. um, and so on, they're just kind of, all, not to say they're worthless, but their scenes are pretty quick where she sees them, moves on without really gaining any knowledge or, or doing it. I mean, in this one, at least she kind of is fixed and healed from her amnesia and realizes that she's got to, you know, she's re-motivated to go find Toby. Hmm. Um, but just in general, it's just like, oh, okay. That wasn't much, Junk Lady. I, w- I wish we had more. I wish you were a little bit more key to the story. Yeah. 
Uh, she's heading towards the Goblin City, but there is this big metal guard, and it's a you know about to come attack him and kill him. But in comes Hoggle. Hoggle jumps on the thing's back, saves them. Sarah ends up forgiving him, you know, even though he gave her the peach that wasted time and whatnot. It doesn't matter. They're friends, John. <laughs> so they're getting close to the castle, and now Jareth is worried. So he sends out his goblin army. You know, we had a good—this is a good scene here. I, I very much enjoy this whole kind of battle scene throughout the town of the goblin city. Yeah. I love Didymus all excited and ready and wanting to fight and, and Ambrosia kind of behind, like, you know, a corner— um, you know, being a scaredy dog. It is funny. And he spends a lot of the battle yelling at the dog. He does. <laughs> Ambrosius, if you don't turn around this second, I will never feed you again. It's funny, the whole battle's raging around him and he's just sitting there like trying to get the dog to come out. Uh, but ultimately they they end up getting like trapped in this house slash tower thing and Ludo busts open the top of it, calls the rocks and they, you know, all these boulders come in and crush the goblins and save them. Uh, so they get to the castle and she feels she has to face Jareth alone. No idea why. Uh, it's not like it was a foretold thing or anything like that. And I, I just want some kind of explanation where some of this stuff happens. And she's just like, I just have to face Jareth alone. Like, well, well why? You have this big fucking guy who can bring a rock to crush Jareth in the head with. <laughs> no. Or this little wiry dude who's going to go up and stab him. Or Hoggle who can hoggle around or something. Well, I, I, what I'm, I'm guessing... Because I did not, uh, I didn't pay that ac- that much attention closely at the very, very beginning, but at, towards the end, when she's she's trying to remember these lines, and the lines are from the play she was reading, yes, and I'm, yeah, I, I'm wondering because I didn't go back, I didn't have time to to go back and see if it says in the play or in the story that that the girl faces her oh, alone, faces him alone, and maybe that's yeah. like because she knows that this is how it's supposed to go, so maybe that's why. You know, it's coming Maybe. out of the story. Yeah. So, wait, let's assume that. I mean, um, okay. I don't remember that off the top of my head either, but let's just go with that. Because she does know the story. She knows the play or whatever that she's yeah. been reading. So, um, And I guess she's obviously assuming herself as the role of whoever this heroine, this hero is of that story. So. Yeah. so she goes in to face him, and it's this big optical illusion staircase thing. You know, these staircases heading in every direction. Yeah. Uh, they apparently, uh, it's, it's reminiscent to me of what's called a Penrose staircase, which is kind of like the ones that kind of go, I don't know, they go, it, it's that famous kind of, it's, it's called the famous, the staircase, that it, it kind of. By M.C. Escher. Yeah. Okay. Then you know. Yeah. yeah. They like they they're just they're all over the place. Yeah. If you if you at the, if you go back to the beginning of the movie, you can see that painting, the M.C. Escher drawing, uh, in oh. Sarah's room. I did not did not know that weird wild stuff, John. <laughs> that's cool. That makes sense. So okay, that's good. Uh, all right. So here, Jareth is singing as she's trying to get Toby. You've run so long. You've run so far. Your eyes can be so cruel Just as I can be so cruel You know, she's just kind of wandering all around trying to get to the get to the kid. And then ultimately she's just like, fuck it. She's going to jump towards him. And so she takes this leap and then everything falls apart around her. And it's now it's just kind of her and Jareth and he's offering her everything, you know. I ask for so little. Just let me rule you, and you can have everything that you want. 
It's kind of a weird speech because he's like, Just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. I will be your slave if you just do everything I say and love yeah. me. And it's like, well, wait, then isn't she the slave? <laughs> like, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's manipulative, obviously. Right. Uh, he's trying to get her, get her to approve it. But, uh, but here she kind of recites that one line that she couldn't remember from the very beginning that you kind of mentioned. And the line is, you have no power over me. Things fall apart. We get a whole bunch of clocks ringing. It's midnight. <gasps> Toby is in his crib, and uh, she gives him that beloved bear that she was so upset with earlier. She sees her friends from the labyrinth in the mirror, and um, and she's just like, okay, you know what? You know what? I'm, I still need you. And then they appear in her bedroom, and they have a dance party. <laughs> just, just like, what the fuck? Um and then uh, an owl flies away, the credits roll, and we get another David Bowie song to finish the film. Yep. Well, I, I wouldn't say I plowed through that because we definitely took enough time, but I and I didn't have I didn't feel I'm gonna can I just I'm just gonna go into my thoughts yeah, go ahead. before okay. I was a little frustrated with this movie. And I probably should have done more research on things um, so I would have sounded smarter because I know I didn't sound all that excited as I was going through that. Uh-huh. And I want to be excited for every single movie. And I want to give everybody like, you know, a big bowl of energy every time I, re- uh, I break down a movie here. And I just didn't have that while I was talking about this one, mostly because as I'm writing my notes, I was constantly thinking to myself, what the fuck? <laughs> like it was what the fuck did that happen? What the fuck just happened here? Or why the fuck did that happen? Or what the fuck's going on? Or any of that kind of stuff. And I know this is something that you, you, and you've gotten upset at me enough (laughs) about on this podcast. I just want, I just want things to make sense. I don't, I don't want things to be fully outlined to me. You know, I, I believe in the show. Don't tell mentality of good filmmaking, but so little in this movie makes sense to me. Like, is this all, this has to all just be in her mind, but I kind of feel like we get a whole bunch of stuff that contradicts that it's all in her mind. Like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on other than drugs. Lots and lots <laughs> of drugs have to be had. I was just going to tell you, just imagine she took a big hit of acid. Yeah. Right before she went in to take care of Toby. And then all I need is just like a little subtle like, you know, LSD stamp or something. I don't know, like sitting on her table that I hadn't noticed before. And then if I see that, boom, it'll all click and be like, ah, I get this now. But besides that, there's enough things that I just, I don't feel this movie flows the way I thought I remember it flowing. Mm -hmm. The story makes so, so little sense to me um, where I want to compare it to the very first movie we talked about, Never Ending Story, another fantasy film that has a lot of what the fuck is going on. Mm -hmm. But Never Ending Story sets us up, very similar, starts in the real world, goes to a fantasy world. But it sets us up with like the how and why and when and all that kind of shit with getting into Fantasia. Mm -hmm. None of that happens with the labyrinth and it just kind of like goes back and forth and things are all of a sudden in real or dream or whatever and who the fuck knows where I feel like I can, I can understand things with never any story. 
I'm just left adrift on my own having to be like, what? <laughs> with Labyrinth. So that's that's where I'm left with the story. And before I talk about anything else, how about how about you tell me your thoughts on mainly that? Uh, well, to, to your point, actually, um, I, I did watch this. We made our kids sit down and watch this with us. And um, at the very beginning, all, when all of a sudden you just get the, the goblins showing up, mm-hmm. my daughter was like, what what is going on? <laughs> like, what? I, I don't understand. And then, you know, we get into the labyrinth and, okay, she accepts that for what it is. And then you go to the yeah. scene where she kind of wakes up in the junk, you know, the junk lady takes her to the room and she goes, oh, it was all a dream. And then the junk lady walks in and my daughter goes, well, I don't know what's going on now. <laughs> <laughs> I am like your daughter right now, John. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't understand this. I understand this movie to the exact same amount that a seven-year-old kid does. <laughs> and, I, and I can't get any better. Yeah. Ultimately, I think she liked it, but I, think, I, don't, okay. I don't think the story itself was what she liked about it. She liked the characters and that sort of thing. Um, I'll admit, I don't, know, I don't remember having a huge love of this movie. Mm. Um, I don't think I, I, I hated it, but... It was not something, I don't know, I found very enticing as a kid, and, and I don't think I identified with a lot of the characters, so um, I've never had a huge nostalgic love for this mm. movie. I think I've, I've had more of a connection to The Dark Crystal than I think I did to Labyrinth, mm. um, but I mean, to its point, I, I didn't hate it. I, I loved watching the characters, and, and there were a lot of good scenes and a lot of good things about it. I, it's you know it's not a movie I hardly ever go back to. So yeah. I I couldn't tell you when the last time was I watched this before watching this uh, yeah. for this episode. Well, that that was the weird thing was as much as I just shit on the story, <laughs> I didn't dislike the movie. Yeah. I didn't have a bad time, and I think a lot of that is because of the characters, yeah. and that's something that they do successfully yeah. in the film is they have some really interesting characters hoggle the the guy who is struggling with his internal conflict of being a coward but he now has this new friend and he wants to become a better person um ludo you're sympathetic for this big super powerful dude but he was captured when we first saw him yeah. um didymus who is just a blast <laughs> and you just love him uh, and then david bowie because of fucking david bowie <laughs> you have to you have to appreciate that i mean he's got a he's got a great look to him yeah absolutely uh, and then the things that you, you you have to appreciate are the technical puppetry and robotic achievements that they had in this film. Yeah, that's something that I will respect to the end end of time. And so just watching it and seeing the human interaction between puppet, robot, and and you know just hand puppet or whatever, and humans works really well. And so I that gets it gets elevated because of that. And I probably allow some of the poor storytelling because of that. Yeah. Um, and so I still, yeah, I didn't have a bad time, but like the story, the story left me um, wanting more yeah. and maybe wanting a remake that can be a little bit more cohesive. Because also another thing, I kind of felt this to be pretty slow. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of dragged on for a little bit. So I think if I'm not having to say what the fuck to myself as much <laughs> and I'm a little bit more in gripped about what's going on, I think it could be a, a really successful remake if they do it. So I'm a lot of people would shit on it. And if they had to do a new Jareth, I think people would flip their fucking nutsack over that. Right. Um, not in a good way. They would just <laughs> people would be oh, they'd be upset. But like, you know what? The story, in my opinion, is weak enough that they can enhance it and they can make it bring some clarity to it, which actually I think I'd enjoy. Okay, I'm I'm going to kind of go a little bit into left field with this. I want to shout this out because this is something that I don't think I appreciated when I still lived uh, in Georgia. If you are at all a fan of the Jim Henson Muppets or anything like that, you need to get yourself to Atlanta and get to the Center for Puppetry Arts. 
that is a place that I wish I had spent more time going to when I lived in Atlanta. And a couple years we were back visiting family. I We took our kids there. And mm-hmm. it's just a fantastic place. There's so many cool things. Uh, they had a really good exhibit. Part of the exhibit, I think, is still there. Uh, they had stuff from the Dark Crystal, uh, like the actual sketches, puppets, and stuff like that. They also, when we went there, had a few things from Labyrinth. Like, they actually had oh. Jareth's... Uh, costume nice and a few other things which i looked at it and was like god damn david bowie was skinny yeah (laughs) i mean you know i look at a lot of people and think god damn you're skinny yeah (laughs) just look at myself in in comparison though but (laughs) it's such a cool place they have shows um there's a cool museum there which just has like a, a history of puppetry you know there's lots of interactive things for kids and if puppets are anything you are nostalgic for or if you have kids if you get yourself to Atlanta or if you find yourself in Atlanta, go visit this place because there's this is the only one like it as far as I know. I don't think there's one anywhere else. I don't know how it ended up in Atlanta, but mm-hmm. it's been there for a while because I remember when I was a kid, they took us down there. You know, for, we'd go there for field trips and stuff like that and okay. see stuff, but it's a really, really great place and I, I can't recommend it enough. I have I don't remember ever going, so now that I'm back in the Georgia area, yeah, you um, need to go. I'm going to have to I need to do it. Yeah, you need to go. And don't, don't, I mean, I think you will appreciate it. Even just if you go, just you and your yeah. wife go, I think you guys will appreciate it because there's a lot of cool things that now that you're older, you would appreciate more mm-hmm. than, you know, if you were a kid walking through some things, you know, when we go through museums, even if it's a museum designed for kids, sometimes kids will see things like, wow, well, uh, whatever. And they'll walk on to the next <laughs> thing. But as an adult, uh-huh. you kind of stop and you read it and you're like, oh man, that's really cool. Yeah. So. All right. Well, skip the labyrinth, but go to the Center for Puppetry Arts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're going to talk Fraggle Rock from 1983 to 1987. There were five seasons, 96 episodes, also created by Jim Henson. Uh, this show starred Gerard Parks as Doc. Um, he is the only like human kind of real hu- reoccurring human character in the show. He is best known, I guess, for me outside of this. Uh, did you ever see Boondock Saints? Uh, yes. Okay, so there is a bartender in Boondock Saints who appears in the second one too, which I haven't seen the second one. Um, but like this guy who has Tourette's and he just constantly goes, fuck, ass! <laughs> uh, and he just has like this like Irish accent and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm going to have to close down the bar. Well, the Russians are buying up buildings all over the town. Including this one. Fuck! Ass! Um, but that's the same guy <laughs> which who just goes around screaming isn't, fuck Isn't ass. he also known as Doc in that movie, too? He is also credited as Doc in that movie. Exactly. Which I think is... I think, I think a lot of... I think they end up calling him fuck ass. Um, <laughs> but, like, his actual credit is Doc, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and then, honestly, it's the same cast from uh, a lot of, you know, Muppets and other stuff mm-hmm. that we've seen actually a lot of them were worked on labyrinth and other things like that so uh people like steve whitmire dave goals jerry nelson Catherine mullen people who are um you know doing the puppets yeah uh and and some voices and stuff like that i'm not going to call all of them out because it's just there's too much yeah um so this was a canadian british and american uh live action puppet television series uh it was a collaboration of four different production companies uh television south in britain canadian broadcasting company in canada and then hbo and jim henson productions both in the u.s the show follows the lives of an underground society so you see all of that and then 
you also kind of every time you start off with like this inventor uh, and his dog uh, in a workshop. And so the inventor was named Doc and uh, his dog. And apparently the human, what they call the wraparound segments, these human wraparound segments were produced separately and they were produced, you know, in the different countries uh, that the show was being uh, shown in. So like that way, so the viewer could always relate to the world of the program depending on what country it was shown in. Okay. Uh, the series appeared in, um, in in over 10 different languages, but and apparently the uh, the CBC slash HBO version has been dubbed in 90, and gone into 95 different countries out there. So, wow. so like in other countries, like in uh, Britain, uh, the inventor, it wasn't the same kind of inventor. It, it was a sea captain. And the place takes place, and it takes place on this um, rock-filled island uh, with a lighthouse, and that's where he was. <laughs> okay. And the French version, the inventor was replaced uh, with a with a, uh, a, sh- a chef at a bakery. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> fucking French bakery, of course. <laughs> yeah. So it's not. So they have some different things in that, but it's all because uh, all that stuff is different. You know, it doesn't really have to tie in with with the uh, Fraggle Rock okay. characters. So watching the show, uh, there's a lot of music mm-hmm. that happens with the episodes. Like I honestly, I mean, this is a show we definitely watched when we were younger. Yeah. I had a very strong nostalgia for it. They actually even had a cartoon spinoff at some point, and I'm pretty sure I remember uh, watching the cartoon at some point. Yeah. Um, but I, I was definitely fond of the show, but I, I really forgot just how much music was a part of it because, I mean, every episode had, like, multiple songs going on within each episode. But none of the songs, at least that I watched, and I watched about, like, four episodes, honestly. None of those songs could top the theme song. That that theme song, it's to me. I I'm very fondly remember the the Fraggle Rock theme song. Yeah. Um. I, honestly, I think it's more remembered and more revered than the show itself. Like people probably forget a lot of stuff about Fraggle Rock, but can they sing along to that theme song? Oh fuck yes, they can. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's great. I mean, that, that's that's just one of those just 80s shows that they knew how to draw you in with a theme song. And I feel like a lot of, the, well, I, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't take that back. Cause not, not a lot of shows. Well, the art of the theme song I think is mostly dying, mm-hmm. but every now and then you get a theme song that really encapsulates a whole bunch of people, like something like the game of Thrones theme song. Yeah. Like you start singing that, like everybody knows that everybody loves that. Yeah. And so, you know, when it's done right, a theme song can um, really elevate a show. And I think that happened here. Yeah. I think so. it happened a lot through the 80s. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, also like a lot of shows in the 80s, I, I feel like the the theme song overshadows the actual show. Yeah. In just sort of, you know, it's nostalgia and kind of in its quality. Um, I was actually a little bored <laughs> yes. with the show. Oh, oh, dead on, John. <laughs> Absolutely. Very bored of the show. You watch it and you're just like, what the fuck? And I only, the only reason I had four episodes playing uh, in total was because I was just doing a bunch of notes. I was like, I kind of have all these, I've got a lot of notes I have to take. And I was starting to take like a a prep notes for labyrinth as well. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of had it on in the background, but like it was not gripping me. No, it wasn't. It was, it was kind of slow and not a lot happened. And I mean, the songs were okay. They were pretty good, but 
They're okay. You know, it. I watched two episodes and that was more than enough. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I, I think it's kind of cute the couple different kind of variety of characters that they had in there. Yeah. Um, even like the different societies. So like they had that main Fraggle society that was all kind of different looking kind of fraggles. Um, but then you had the little, the doozers or the dozers um, that were these little construct, the green construction guys yeah. that were the little hats and they were kind of building stuff around. Uh, and then also the gorgs who were these big brown guys who were trying to like catch the fraggles right. in certain episodes. Apparently the fraggles were like fucking up their gardens and they considered them pests. Oh, okay. And that was, so they're not really like trying to eat them or anything like that, right. but like, they, but they consider the Fraggles pests, and they want to get rid of them. And I was like, oh, wow, I kind of, you know, relate to the Gorgs a little <laughs> bit more than I used to. I'm just being like, well, Fraggles, stop fucking up their gardens. Yeah. But you got to also talk about just the design of the Fraggles, you know, the the mastery of, of puppets that Jim Henson Productions can create is second to none. Even you go back and compare, like, some of this old stuff. And compare it to like, you know, I guess not a lot of puppets are being made now, mm-hmm. but like just like some of the simplistic design works so well with uh, yeah. with a lot of their puppets. And and I like, yeah, just kind of some simple shapes on these fraggles, but it looks really good. The puppetry is solid. So that's what makes the show respectable, in my opinion. And what makes it that it's again, the show is not that great. The story is not that great, but you got to respect <laughs> the puppetry, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do you remember... We had, I mean, we had we had a bunch of little toys, but I remember we had these little Fraggle Rock toys, and I and I'm pretty certain they came from McDonald's Happy Meals, but they were they were like Fraggles in these little vehicles, and the vehicles were all like made from plants because I remember oh, there was yeah. this purple one. She was like had like an eggplant little car. Yeah, wasn't there one in a carrot? Yeah, yes, there was one in a carrot, and so there's like just different little Fraggles in these vegetables, and they were all little cars, and I'm pretty sure they were Happy Meal toys. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do kind of vaguely remember that. Yeah, and we totally, I totally like would have races with them, and then other stuff. So I mean, I, I just, I just remember playing with those little toys for a long time. Okay. Yeah. I, I had the same notes for, as you. Yeah, I found the show boring. <laughs> I definitely liked it as a kid. Of course, I respect it, and the songs are okay. But in general, eh, I, I vote keep it in your nostalgia. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, sorry, Fraggle Rock. Just, just play the theme song on loop, though. Maybe that. Maybe that's the case. There you go. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by McDonald's Presents. <laughs> Great news, Fraggles. Greater than a one Fraggle ping pong game. Greater than laundry? Tell me, Gobo. No, let me guess. No, tell me. Ah! It says. Kids get one of four Fraggle Rock toys when their parents buy them a McDonald's Happy Meal featuring Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock. There's Red Fraggle in a radish, Gobo in a carrot, Moki in an eggplant, or Boober and Wembley in a pickle. I think I'll capture that news in something arty. But first, let's party! Hooray! All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're going to be recasting the movie Labyrinth using actors of today. Now, in truth, there's really only two people Mm -hmm. we really need to cast, which is Jareth and Sarah. We threw in some other characters. We threw in the father and stepmother just so we had some other humans to do, even though they make a very, very brief uh, appearance. (laughs) Yeah, real fast. And we threw in some of the other main characters who would be... You're really casting the voices per se, not so much the mm-hmm. the actors. 
Um, because I would still want to keep the puppets. I'm assuming you would too. Yeah, I would. I mean, I, yeah, I would not want to make it a CG character. No, I don't think I'd want it to be a full live action. Now, there's one character that I do think I would adjust a little bit, and I'll talk about that when I get to that person. Okay. Um, but more than not, I kind of want to keep. I don't want it to be like a live action, quote unquote, live action, which is just CG, like Disney's Disney's live action Lion King. You mean everything that was 100% fucking computer generated? Right. No, I still I want there to be the puppets or you know maybe you know updated puppets. All right, and so the characters we are going to cast will be Ludo, the junk lady, Didymus, Hoggle, the stepmother, the father, and of course Sarah and Jareth. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of uh, we'll go in that direction. Uh, Ludo is kind of a last second addition, which is why mm-hmm. he was up on the top of my list. Yeah, I mean, after watching it, at first I was totally fine without doing Ludo, but then after rewatching it, I was like, okay, Ludo's on here for a while. I forgot how much he actually talks too. Yeah, he does get he gets he gets way more. I felt bad us including the junk lady and not including <laughs> Ludo. Ludo, so I was like, well, fuck, we need to have Ludo. Yeah, well, I, f- I yeah, I forgot how much Ludo actually talks, even yeah. though he doesn't have you know full on conversations. He does say some things from time to time. So uh, we'll go ahead and start with him. I'll go ahead and jump in. This one, as it was kind of a last, not necessarily a last minute edition, uh, I just kind of went with somebody who I knew could do some good voices, who could do kind of a deep voice. It might, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a little, sound a little different than the, you know, the traditional Ludo, but he's a great voice actor and whatever he wanted to bring to the table, I'm sure would be great. I went with Kevin Michael Richardson. Yeah, he's, uh, he can do a lot of different stuff and perfect in that low range. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm all for Kevin Michael Richardson. Okay, yeah, I, so. I, you know I think uh, I think the only two that we, we could possibly really have any issue with is going to be Sarah and Jareth, especially Jareth. Yeah. Especially Jareth. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Jareth is the only one where I imagine we might have any kind of issue with. With the other ones, mm-hmm. it almost doesn't really matter as long as the you know the person kind of fits the voice for what it is. So um, I do hope. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm trying to think. With some of my people, like, I think with my, well, with my Ludo even, I think this guy's tall enough that he could probably be in the Ludo suit uh, if he wanted to. Maybe he'd be a CG. Uh, I don't know. Uh, now I'm kind of debating myself if I want to <laughs> keep the, the if I want to, you know what, say, fuck it. You know what, let's do a CG labyrinth and see how that goes. Or maybe it's like puppets with CG enhancements Okay. Um, a little bit more. I'm okay with that. That's what they did for the uh, the Age of Resistance for the Dark Crystal Age Resist- yeah, TV yeah. show. And like Mandalorian, yeah. you know, the Baby Yoda had some had some CG moments right. to him. So uh, that's what that's going to be. So um, like my junk lady, I think my junk lady could probably be done by the actress. So anyway, back to my Ludo. Uh, I, I think you've used this voice actor before. He's got a great low voice actor. And honestly, when I was watching Ludo, I was just like, oh, you totally seemed like like this guy to me. Um, at least I, I envisioned this guy as a Ludo. So I went with Brad Garrett as my Ludo. Okay. Another another low voice kind of yeah, dude. Yeah, another low voice guy who does a lot of voice acting. Mm-hmm. I'd totally be okay with that as well. Cool. All right. Not much to that one. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean. Fuck. I know. People, we had we had two flops. You know, I, I feel like our our movie and our uh, the show were both flops. And I'm, I'm man, I want to give you the energy. I want to give it to you. And I just, I don't have it right now. I'll be, I'll be honest. I was kind of iffy about actually recasting this movie, knowing that it was going to be a lot of puppets. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I couldn't think of anything else to do, though, so. All right, uh, so let's move on to the junk lady. Who did you have as your junk lady? I very quickly 
cast one person and then I changed it up because she's maybe a little older than I wanted, even though that wouldn't be a big deal at all. And she she's she would be a, a great junk lady. Well, you know what? I'll tell it after after you say yours mm-hmm. if you think this person would be a better casting. I cast someone that I want to see more of. Okay. Instead of someone who I think is the perfect call, I think she's a really good call. And I think this person would actually be a pretty darn good live action junk lady if you added some kind of either puppetry stuff that she would have to handle or CG with her face or whatever. I don't know. She's fantastic in the earlier seasons of Orange is the New Black. She plays Crazy Eyes. Her name is Uzo Aduba. Oh. I think she was really good as Crazy Eyes. I want to see her in more things. And she's a great actress. So I thought, you know what? You're my junk lady. You know what? That'd be great to see her if they did her as a live action junk lady. Yeah. That would be really, really good to see. Or maybe a little bit of CG. But I think I would rather... I'd rather... I'd rather they just find a way to put her in the costume because you you, you want to see her face. You want to see you know the how she yes. manipulates herself. That she way. does great job exactly, and that's I think what I thought. And so I guess I did kind of think somewhat less puppets and a little okay. bit more live action with that. That's fine. So, if yeah. if that's the route you're gonna go, I think that's a spot on choice. Cool. for that. All right, sweet. I went straight puppet, so I'm thinking okay. voice, not necessarily you know who's you know who's gonna be doing the physical act of whatever it was i'm to me i wanted it to be puppet um as i'm watching it i'm i'm going god this kind of reminds me of agra from the dark crystal oh yeah and so yeah, there's I definitely see similarities yeah there. so i literally went with the lady who did the voice of agra in the age of resistance i went with an actress named uh donna kimball Okay, and she didn't do it in the original no, Dark no, no, Crystal. No, 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 no. I, I checked that. No, it was a different lady. Uh, I'm all for it. I mean, if she is anything like, I never saw. I haven't seen Age of Resistance, mm-hmm. but if she kind of does a similar Agra to she the does. Movie, I mean, I, at first I thought they had the same woman. So I, when I checked it and okay. realized it was a different, one, I was like, well, they spot on cast it. And this woman actually yeah. has done a lot with puppets. I mean, she was in, um, she she got a, a couple of other uh, TV shows that had puppets. She was in Greg the Bunny. Okay. I like Greg the Bunny. That was an underrated show. Yeah, I agree. So, so I figured she'd work because she sounded great as Agra in uh, in Age of Resistance. So yeah, that's definitely a good call. Um, if you were keeping puppets, then that's a, a perfect call. Really, tell me what you think. Would do you think uh, the first name that came to my head, and maybe it's because of just her face in Robin Hood Men in Tights. The first person I thought was Tracy Ullman. Might be a fun junk. She lady. would be a fun junk lady too. Yeah, anyone okay. who can play like a crazy old lady. <laughs> Oh, the crazy old lady yeah, would be great. Cra- yeah. No, she would work well, too. Cool. Uh, all right. Let's go to Didymus. I'll go ahead and start on Didymus. I'll let you kind of have the last word, because I know Didymus was one of your favorites. Um, uh, again, I just went for voice, wanting him to be a puppet. I went with a little bit more of a celebrity voice with this one. Um, God, I had a hard time finding someone who aud- who talked in the higher register that Didymus does. I was like, I wanted to find a British actor. Because he he talks with a British accent, but yes. none of them have that really really high sort of register. So I was like, you know what? I'll go with someone who's got a really good voice, and then if he wants to manipulate his voice, he can. Uh, and so I went with the well, I only I went with the only Robin Hood to speak with a English accent. Also from Men in Tights, I went with Carrie Elways. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, I can see him doing that. He does good voice stuff. Yeah, yeah. I approve of that one, especially if you're doing doing just voice. That yeah. kind of thing. Well, you have to with Didymus. Yeah, I don't want Didymus to be a huge regular person. No, 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 obviously not. Like, yeah. No, I'm cool with that. Okay. Um, yeah, I went with, uh, I mean, with Didymus and how wiry, and I also went with a British actor because you want to keep a British accent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm going to be diving into a more live action-y CG style, uh, then this Didymus has to stay CG and little and that kind of thing. Right. So I wanted someone who I think could play wiry. Uh, I think he could do... 
probably the high enough voice of fun stuff. I, I He was kind of definitely all over the place and showed some craziness in uh, when he was in the Harry Potter series, or at least he was in, I think, just one of those movies. But I think he would do exactly what I want with my Didymus. I went with one of the former Doctor Whos. I did David Tennant. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, I love David Tennant and everything he does, but yeah. I mean, you get. I think you'd get a little bit more of a Scottish than a British. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Fine. It's all the same to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> UK. Yeah. But uh, no, I I I like his voice. I I actually really like what he's done with the. Uh, Scrooge McDuck in the cartoon. Mm, that's right, yeah. Which actually, I hated at first, but it's kind of grown on me a little bit. But uh, no, 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 I like that. Yeah, I'm all for that. Cool, cool. All right, Hoggle. I had a really high, hard time with Hoggle. Really kind of yeah. nailing that down. Why don't you start us off with this one? Sure. Uh, in the first, I guess, I, you know what? I, I I thought I wanted to go like with some puppet stuff, but like the more I, I look at my list, I'm like, no, I totally went with live action kind of just stuff for sure, yeah. um, or CG-based. So I was going to go with... Um, an actor who I think actually kind of looks like Hoggle. <laughs> he, uh, uh, his name is Mark Rylance, and he did the voice of the BFG in that uh, BFG. Okay. Big fucking giant. I don't think it's called big fucking giant, <laughs> it's but it's big friendly, big friendly giant. giant. Yeah, yeah. yeah big, big. <laughs> um, but you've seen Mark Rylance, and probably he's probably one of those guys that you, you're like, oh, I recognize you. I just can't think of your name. Um, but I But I see him, and I'm like... Oh, you you kind of look hoggly to me. Um, and he's I know he's done good voice, but I ended up going with an actor who I think if you put some makeup on him, maybe some CG accompaniment um, or definitely at least some, you know, some prosthetics. He's probably one of he's one of the biggest names that I cast, but I think he he would dive into something and, and he would elevate Hoggle even more and really kind of see the struggle that he has to do of being a coward. Mm-hmm. Um, but appreciating friendship i went with peter dinklage as my hoggle oh okay he would do well as well yeah he would totally do it. yeah i think you could do that you wouldn't need the the puppetry at all with with dinklage no, you, you'd, exactly you'd want just just prosthetic yeah, just something some prosthetic stuff like that no that yeah. works perfectly that works perfectly yeah. so yeah how about you uh i again i just went straight voice okay. i did a lot of one-to-ones in most in most cases in this so are you gonna you're not gonna keep the shitty story are you you're gonna you're gonna fix the story on your movie yeah, yeah okay. we can fix the story but i mean as <laughs> okay. far as the look goes or not the story. The story's fine. The cohesiveness yeah. is really the only thing that yeah. bothered me. Uh, now I went with another very well-known voice actor who I'm sure would do very well. Uh, I went with Dan Castellaneta. Oh, yeah. Homer himself. Yeah. Kind of reminded <laughs> me of Homer a little bit as I was watching. I'm like, oh, I'll go with Dan Castellaneta. Yeah. Get that kind of but voice But I mean, he, does, he, he doesn't just do the Homer voice. He does a bajillion voices. Yeah. Um, great voice. I mean, when you when you bring up one of those types of names... It's impossible for me to <laughs> shit on it, John, because they can do anything yeah. with a voice. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I knew. I, it was a safety net choice. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know what? Right. It doesn't matter. Adam's not going to hit. Adam's not going to shit on this. So, let's no, go with. Certainly not. Uh, all right. So, for the stepmother and the father, it really does not matter no. who it is. Their, their, their time is very short on screen. It only happened. They only see them once. Other, the mm. only time you ever hear of them again is at the end when you hear the father's voice. You don't see them, so yeah. it really doesn't matter at all. No, let's just you want to just do them back to back then. Sure, just get just whip them out fast. All right, I'll I'll whip mine out real fast for you, John. That's <laughs> <laughs> talking about my penis. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was joking. That's gross. <laughs> oh, I swear I'm an adult. All right, so what I kind of thought about with mine, I I probably thought too hard on their ages. <laughs> okay, so. 
I, uh, I'll tell you, I'll just go ahead and tell you, with my Sarah, I wanted to cast someone who was also in that very young, like, 16 age range. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did for Sarah. I wanted, in my head, what I kind of, the story that I constructed was, okay, the father, you know, had a, an older relationship. He needs to be in his later 30s or something like that, uh, where he might have had Sarah when he was much younger. You know, he needs, he, he, that, you know, he maybe had Sarah when he was... Um, right at 20 or something with a, with his former wife or someone that he loved Mm -hmm. when he was younger, that was Sarah's mom. And then she passed away. And then, so Sarah, and then his father married someone maybe like even 10 years younger. And so I went with like a late thirties for my father and an late twenties for my mother for the stepmother. So I just went with two actors, an actor and an actress that I want to see more of. I like them. The screen time is so little with both. Yeah, it's like hard to imagine. So I went with Zazie Beats as my stepmother because she's 28 right now. Okay. She's in the age range. I think she could have like a one-year-old baby uh, and it would like, you know, just make a lot of sense. Um, and then the father in the later 30s, I went with Ben Barnes. You might know him from Punisher. He was the villain in oh, yeah. Jigsaw and the Punisher show. Yeah. I liked him a lot. He's a good actor. He was also... I think I cast him in something recently. I can't remember what, though. You know what? You might have. And maybe that, maybe that's why I had him in my head as well. Um, but I liked Ben Barnes. So I was like, you know what? Boom. You know, two uh, Marvel people. I got Jigsaw banging Domino. That's that's my <laughs> father and stepmother. So. Uh, okay. Admittedly, I actually went with actors who were probably too old for the role. But eh, yeah. you make them. It doesn't matter. Make them up. I just kind of thought, uh, who would be fun people to see? Uh, for the stepmother, I don't expect you to know who this lady is, uh, be- because I know her from NCIS. So it's not that main lady, is it? No, it's it's one of the ladies who's joined recently. But I enjoyed her on the show, and you know, for a little stepmother role, I don't think it would matter. I went with the actress named Jennifer Esposito. Oh, I've heard that name before. Uh, she was in the movie Crash from two thousand four. Yeah, I've definitely seen her before. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, she can, I don't think she can, it's, she's too old. Okay. Uh, yeah. Who I picked for the father is definitely too old. He's in his 60s now, but, they, you know, they can, yeah. they can color in his hair and. Well, I mean, how old did you go with Sarah? If Sarah's in like in her 20s, then it totally fits. Well, I mean, the actress right now is in her, she's like 23 now, but I, okay. in my head, she's still playing like eight, maybe 18, uh, 16, 17, okay. 18. 18. So okay. well, I'm sure this 60 year old guy can play a 45. I'm sure, and maybe he started yeah. late. Maybe he already started late when when he oh, first had dude. Sarah. Yeah, there's some there's some old guys out there with some young kids. Yeah, there are. So it happens. Uh, and it would just be fun just to see him pop up. Some actually went with Scott Bakula. Oh, the back, the back is back. <laughs> yep. Bakula's back. <laughs> you know what? As quick as as quick as as it is, I, I am all for that. <laughs> so wait. Isn't he on an NCIS or is yeah. he on a CSI spinoff? No, 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 he spin-off. has his own NCIS spinoff. So you went with two NCIS people? I did. <laughs> I did. I mean, that's the only thing I'm going to shit on because you know how much I hate that shit. Um, but I, I, I like Bakula uh, and I like Jennifer Esposito okay. as well. So I'll, I'll, I'm okay with okay, it. Okay, fine. Uh, all right. So we're finally on to our big two. Uh, Adam, who did you go with as your Sarah? So, yeah, as I mentioned, I wanted to stick into that 16-ish age range, and that kind of limited me with people people I actually know <laughs> and how good <laughs> they are. Um, but this kid, well, I say she's a kid. Well, she's 16. She's a kid. You know what? I'm, I'm, allowed, to, I'm allowed to call a 16-year-old a kid. I call right? 25-year-olds a kid. Okay. Well, there you go. I, you know, and they really are. Um, so she's actually, she's 15 right now. Um, and so she, she can play 16, I bet. <laughs> she's mature for her age. But... I think I cast her because she looks 
like Jennifer Connelly to me. Um, she's got like that, those dark features, dark hair and dark eyebrow kind of thing. Um, and so I have that look and that's why I think I got her. Um, she's been in World War Z. She was in the show. She's one of the kids in that um, HBO show Divorce. She's been in some of the horror movies like um, The Conjuring and whatnot, uh, that series. But her name is Sterling Jarens. And I think, I th- honestly, it's the, it's the she's got these strong credits. And she's got a Jennifer Connelly look. So I'm like, you're my Sarah. Uh, she definitely has a Jennifer Connelly look. Yeah. That is for sure. Yeah. So, um... I don't really remember her from World War Z, but I don't remember much from that movie. So yeah, no, I mean she look, I mean, she definitely looks it. So yeah, that's what that's what got me there. Yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm not not at all shitting on your choice. Okay, because um, I mean she lo- she definitely looks like she could work. She's got that uh, she's got the right look for her. And she's got a lot. She's got a good number of credits, so she's obviously working. It, yeah, she's obviously working. And that's kind of what it's. it's that's kind of what drew me to eventually pick her because yeah. there's some other bigger names that I was gonna go with, but I'm like, you know what? You've got all these good credits. You've got to be good. Yeah. Have her kind of be a lookalike. Yeah. But I think she'd be probably probably could do do her own and do fine. Okay. I wouldn't say I went with a huge actress, but she's definitely gotten a lot of attention lately. Uh, she's going to be in the New Mutants coming out, and she actually also was a voice. I forgot that she was a voice on Dark Crystal Age of Resistance and as the main uh, female character, but she was also in The Witch... Uh, she was in the movie Split and Glass, the uh, sort of the end of the um, M. Night Shyamalan trilogy. I went with mm-hmm. uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who I think I've cast before in something, but I can't remember. It was a while back. I've definitely seen her around. Yeah, I don't I don't remember anything. I never saw Split, never saw Glass. I, I never saw either of those either, but I remember seeing her from the trailers because she's kind of in Split. She's kind of like the main girl. In that, I don't know what her thing was in Glass, but uh, she did a good job as far as her speaking role in The Dark Crystal as this kind of the okay. main female. So, and, and she's uh, been uh, so she played a Gelfling. Yeah, she played a Gelfling. She kind of looks like a Gelfling. She's got a, she, I was gonna <laughs> say she's got a Gelfling look yeah. to her, man. <laughs> she totally does. So Holy she's shit. gonna be playing. Oh my uh, god! I am flipping between one of the pictures of just like her regularly and her in Dark Crystal, and I'm like, that's not a puppet. That's just her. <laughs> She is totally a Gelfling look. She just donned the green screen suit and yeah, she's kind of got like that that kind of like the wide set eyes and they're they kind of look similar like yep. yeah, interesting. Not in a bad way, yeah. you know. <laughs> All right, let's let's get to the main guy, the the whole reason we're here, recasting Jareth. <sighs> it's uh, it's so fucking tough, and any cast you're gonna do, it's it's not gonna it's not it's just not going to yeah you know it's not gonna be David Bowie. I'm not confident with my castings or with this casting in particular. Mm-hmm. And I flip flopped with this one. I was I was going between like four different people and okay. I was like, you, oh then you, then uh I don't know. I, I went between two different people. Okay. I think I ultimately like who I selected, but it's it's gonna be an interesting it's gonna be interesting either way. Um I'll go ahead and start. I wanted a singer. I wanted a singer who acts, and so I narrowed it down to two singers who I thought have done some pretty good acting jobs recently. Um, I'll tell you, who the, I'm going to tell you who I didn't go with first, um, and this would have, this may have changed this, or you know what, maybe it wouldn't have. My, I actually thought about going with Lady Gaga. Okay. Um, Interesting. She, I mean, she yeah, she acted in Star is Born, and that got good. Either either making Jareth a girl, or just kind of making her, uh, making Jareth sort of ambiguous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, 
Um, I went with a different singer who's done some pretty good acting lately, and I, I think I think also his voice would sort of lend well to that sort of same Jareth style. Mm. I went with Lenny Kravitz. Interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Has he done? He's done some acting. Oh yeah, he was in all of the Hunger Games series. Um, actually, did a pretty good job in the Hunger Games series. He's done a good bit of acting huh. recently. I didn't know that, and I like that call. Wow. When you first say that, I would be like, really? But like, if you said he he's done some acting, I don't think he would be immediately compared to David Bowie. Right. And you know, even though they both do like rock music. Uh, Lenny Kravitz's rock music is totally different from actually David Bowie's pop. Yeah. He's not really rock. So, oh, and man, Lenny Kravitz has got swagger all his own, you know, (laughs) and he, he, he can totally do that. Yeah. He wouldn't have to fuck. I like that. John, that's a good call. Okay, cool. I like that. I'm glad I could surprise you with that. Yeah. That was, that was a pleasant surprise. So. I was real. I had four people that I kept going back for. There was really two that I was kind of fighting. And originally, I like locked in. All right, I want a singer, and I don't really even get care if they can act. <laughs> I want singer who has some of the flamboyance and just the presence mm-hmm. of that. Like you know, it's not the same presence as a David Bowie, but he's got good presence. And you know, David Bowie, I don't think really did much acting before this, right? And not like his acting was amazing in this one. Um, but granted. He'd be fine, and, and I would I would want a better actor, and that's why I went with the actor. I did not end up going. I was gun. I was so close to choosing Adam Lambert because oh, interesting. He's he's front. He's the front runner of Queen yeah. right now. Actually, I mean, it's Adam Lambert. Queen. I saw him in concert. Did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Adam Lambert. He would bring a presence. He would be compared too closely against David Bowie. That it would probably shoot him in the foot. Okay. Um, if he had a role like that, and so I went with an actor who I thought would be a really good actor, and he could take parts of the Jareth character, use them, but then also do some stuff on his own. Um, maybe I had the whole under pressure, David Bowie, Freddie Mercury thing in my head <laughs> because I went with the guy who played Freddie Mercury. I went with Rami Malek. Um, I've used him too much, but I, I think he would be a good Jareth. I don't hate that. Okay. I don't hate that. I'm not overwhelmed by that choice. I think I... I th- Are you perfect, perfectly whelmed? <laughs> Honestly, I think I liked your Adam Lambert choice better oh. than Rami Malek. Huh. Okay. What about what about a Taron Egerton? He was one of my other four uh, other ones because he can sing. Boy can sing. He can sing. And, I mean, and we know. I mean, he and he also he did Elton John. So another guy who's kind of tied in with that whole he's played him. So yeah. maybe he could do. I, I still like stuff. Adam Lambert better. OK. What about my other? The other <laughs> choice I had was Tom Hiddleston. Uh, I, uh, But that would that'd be almost looking too much like David Bowie. No, maybe. No, I like I like Hiddleston. I mean, Hiddleston, like Hiddleston, Hiddleston did. Uh, he, did, he did a Hank Williams biopic, didn't he? Where he played Hank. Oh, yeah, you're right. He did. Yeah. He and did. he sang. I remember I have to say I hate to say this because I really do like Tom Hiddleston. I, I I know he's got a lot of you know good credits to his name and, and we all yeah. love him as Loki. I think he's I think he just he's killed it with that one. I'm actually I'm actually mm-hmm. kind of excited to see that series with him, even though yeah. even though I don't like the idea of doing a like a multiverse show. Like I'd rather they just continue with one continuity, but well, you know whatever. I hate to say this though. I heard he did uh he did one of the talk shows, you know, the evening talk shows. Um, and he came out and sang a Hank Williams song, and he really wasn't that great. Oh. <laughs> and someone was like, oh, you sound just like him. No, 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 he doesn't. No. No, he doesn't. All right. Well, I still like my Remy Malik. Okay, that's fine. Fine. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. I'm just going to disrespect you a little more. Fuck you. Fuck you, John. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, Remy, I mean, Remy's already proved he can play that kind of role anyway, so that's, yeah, that's, sure. not, a, that's not a, an unreasonable call. So, 
All right. All right. Well, that was our casting of Labyrinth. Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. We get together and rank our Top 10 80s sitcom theme songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. What's up, guys? I'm Tess. And I'm Corey. And we are the ongoing comic book discussion podcast, the place where one guy and one gal dive into the world of comic books one adventure at a time. That's right. You can find us every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any of your favorite podcatchers. So come check out OCD Podcasts, where comic books are cool.